At that point, I refused to look for another job. I no longer want to work for these companies or corporate America where I feel like I have to constantly climb up this ladder and being kicked down. I realized how expendable I was to them. And I no longer wanted to feel like that again. I realized I wasn't a worker bee. I was a boss and I needed to boss up. Hey everyone, welcome back to Flourish in the Foreign, a podcast that elevates and affirms the voices and the stories of Black women living and thriving abroad. This podcast also centers Black women wellness because I see living abroad as a gateway to wellness. Now, wellness isn't just crystals and yoni eggs. Though I have both, wellness, especially for Black women, is all-encompassing. It's holistic. It is professional, financial, emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual wellness. And in each of these stories, my guests really demonstrate how living abroad doesn't just change their life, but really enhances their life. And I hope you all enjoy. I'm the host and creator of this podcast, Christine Job, a Black American woman living here in Barcelona. This podcast is a labor of love, but labor nonetheless. Because this podcast requires time, money, and resources to produce for you all every single week, I'm asking you all to please support this podcast. You can support this podcast in a number of ways. Become a Patreon backer of this podcast by going to www.patreon.com slash flourishforn. Another way is to cash up the podcast at dollar sign flourish foreign. You can also place an ad if you find your business and service is in alignment with this podcast. For more information, go to the podcast website www.flourishintheforeign.com and go to the contact page. Shoot me a little message and we can talk from there. If you are a woman of color and you are interested in starting your own podcast, or perhaps you already have your own podcast, and you're interested in really taking it to the next level, I highly suggest joining WOC Podcasters Insiders. It's a membership where you can learn all the things about really growing your audience and monetizing your podcast. I'm actually a member of the group, and if you use my link to join WOC Podcasters Insiders membership, the podcast actually receives a percentage in affiliate sales. So you will not be charged more. Do not worry at all. It is actually incredibly affordable. The membership is right now only $15, but it will be going up in September. So if you would like to join and you would like to support Flourish in the Foreign, use my affiliate link. It is in the show notes and on the website. Another way for you to support the podcast is, of course, to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Yes, it is incredibly important for you all to rate and review the podcast. This is the way other people find the podcast. And hopefully, maybe Spotify or Apple picks up the podcast and features it. So if you have not reviewed this podcast, review it right now. I actually post the reviews that the podcast has received every Sunday on the podcast's Instagram. Speaking of Instagram, go ahead and follow the podcast on Instagram at Flourish Foreign, Facebook at Flourish Foreign, Twitter at Flourish Foreign. All right, that completes the support portion of the show. Now on to the next story. 
today we have Nubia, who is one half of the critically acclaimed Chronicles Abroad podcast, which helps to inspire Gen X women to travel and see the world. Her and her co-host Frances are just lovely and so funny. Nubia's story of how her life was really and truly transformed by going abroad is exceptional. But I'm going to let her tell you all about it. I'm 42 and I'm currently in Playa del Carmen, Mexico. I am a native Bostonian. However, I left Boston over 15 years ago to move to Virginia. And when I say home, I really do think of Virginia as home. And I left Virginia four years ago to move abroad. I never went out of the country as a child. And my mother was not an avid traveler. I did not leave the country until I was 31 was the first time I had left the country. I traveled a lot throughout the Americas and Caribbean. And I think my background as a Sagittarius fueled that because as a Sagittarius, we're known as wanderers. I just had this thing inside of me that always wanted to get up and go somewhere. I would take a long road trip and go to New York City, or I would drive down to Florida or Atlanta, just different places. But my international travel did not start until I was well into my adult years. I did not attend university in the traditional sense. I had my children at a younger age. I had my daughter a week before my 18th birthday. I was only one year out of high school before I became a mom. And then I had my second child by the age of 21. I spent majority, no, not majority, all of my young adulthood raising children. I didn't go back. I didn't go to school. I say go back because I took classes here and there, but I did it the un traditional route. And I did a two-year college and got my degree when I was 36. I wanted to know more about how Nubia's professional life progressed before she went abroad. Starting off, I was in the clinical field. I had always dreamt of being a, a cardiovascular surgeon. That was my thing. I loved the heart. I loved just anatomy. However, having children working in the medical field and shift work just did not work for me. I left clinical and went into administrative. Administrative was great for a number of years. As I got older, I realized I had a passion for entertaining. I went into events management and I was a meeting manager at my last employer before I became totally independent and I owned my own events planning business. It kind of went hand in hand. Even though I was doing corporate meetings, I was able to leverage my education through my job, taking professional certifications. I went to George Washington University. I went to school for events management and hospitality management. I was able to tie the two in and travel and tourism became my ultimate business in the end. I was interested in learning more about Nubia's journey abroad. When she started taking international trips, and when were the seeds of living abroad planted? It's very difficult to answer because this was not a calculated decision that I made. It wasn't like one day I sat down. It was a feeling. It was like this overwhelming energy that was pulling me and driving me to want to be somewhere else. I could not understand for the life of me what was going on. For a good, I'll say two years leading up to me moving abroad, I was doing an extensive amount of travel. I had joined travel groups and travel clubs, and I was learning travel hacks. I had credit cards with travel points, and I was learning this whole entire world revolving around travel. I was 
just booking flights and error deals and all of these things. I got to go to it in many beautiful places, but I was traveling all wrong. I was going for three days here, five days there. In one month's time, I was maybe going to one to two destinations, whether it was domestic or international. I remember exhausting myself. I was literally physically exhausted. I remember coming back from Cuba and I just did not feel good. I went to the doctors and of course they did this complete workup because I just left a foreign country and they wanted to make sure I didn't have any parasites or came back with anything. When I told the doctor about my travels and all the places I had been to in that one year time span, I had been to 16 destinations in less than a year. And she just looked at me and was like, what are you doing? She was like, you're hurting yourself and your immune system is breaking down because of it. There was just a bunch of stress going on within my body. I believe that's when it clicked for me that I wanted to travel differently. Not necessarily move abroad, but travel differently. I was like, I really want to do a slower pace kind of travel. I would love to spend more time in a location and get to know that culture, get to learn maybe a little bit of the language, develop relationships, and go off the beaten path, per se, and not necessarily be constrained to a resort or a hotel. I might want to just get an Airbnb and cook my own breakfast and those kind of things. That's how it started. And once I got that in my mind that I really wanted to travel slower, That's when it was just like, maybe I can just pack my stuff and go. And I couldn't understand. It was literally a force just pulling at me. And um, I decided to go with it. And there was a bunch of things that kind of happened that aligned my journey to allow me to leave. My daughter had left to college. I was one down, one to go. (laughs) And I felt like, okay, now it's starting to feel like... I'm at the end of a parent circle. I'm always going to be a parent, but we always strive to get that child off to college. And then we have like a a breath of fresh air. That's like, we did it. That was one check mark. The other was I went on holiday vacation during Christmas and I came back to work and we had our morning meeting. And after our meeting, my boss called me in the office and HR representative walks in and I'm like, what the heck is going on? Because we all know what happens then. And they tell me that they've made some changes and they're doing some shifts and my position was being terminated. And I was livid. I was just like, I just came off of a 10-day vacation. Are you serious? Like, what? At that point, they had given me a really good package, though, I must say. I was able to keep my health insurance for six months. I was able to still get paid on payroll for four or five months. I was able to apply for unemployment and they were contested. So I had no choice but to leave that office with my tail between my legs. And I just felt betrayed. I had it in my head that I was only going to stay there another year, maybe two, and save up this and pay off that. I had done really well with my credit and my financial management. That box was checked. I was saving money. That box was checked. I just felt like I was in this good place and I just wanted another year or two to get better, to pay off the car loan, to pay off a couple of things. That's when I was propelled because I was just like, well, I don't have a job now. At that point, I refused to look for another job. I was like, I no longer want to work for these companies or corporate America where I feel I have to constantly climb up this ladder and being kicked down. I felt betrayed by my employer because they knew my history. They knew I was a single mom. They knew I worked hard. They knew I had the drive and the knowledge and the ability. Why not work with me and help me find another position within the company and not just terminate my position? So I realized how expendable I was to them. And I no longer wanted to feel like that. I realized I wasn't a worker bee. I was a boss and I needed to boss up. That's when I decided I was no longer going to look for a job. I started doing extensive research about 
my likes and my dislikes, what made sense to me at the time about what I wanted and where I wanted to go. Asia kept calling my name. I'm ready for some life changes. I'm ready to do something different. I love Vietnamese food. Vietnam was on my horizon. And there's no amount of research that you can do literally online or anything else that can prepare you. I was watching YouTube videos of young white people traveling the world talking about, I can teach you how to travel for $5 a day. But here I was about to turn 40 and nobody looked like me. I couldn't resonate with any of these folks. And it was ironic enough that a mutual acquaintance of mine that I had met in DC years before, I was on Facebook just scrolling and I realized that she was in Thailand. And I'm immediately in her inbox. Hey, you're in Thailand? You moved to Thailand? That was the first Black person I knew that was a mom because she was a single mom as well. She was of age, over 35. And I was just like, what's going on? It was actually my co-host, Frances. And she's like, her son went off to college. Her father had passed away. She felt like she had no ties and she just needed to do something dramatic and something different. And she ended up moving to Thailand to teach. And that was great for her, but I knew I didn't want to teach. And I didn't have the four-year degree to be a teacher. I was like, well, shoot, if she can do it, I can do it. And that's how my journey really began. From there, Frances and I would talk a lot because I, I wanted to absorb the information that she knew. But her circumstances were a lot different. She was in a program, accommodations paid, and her food was paid for. She was in a group setting and those kind of things. Here I was, a solo traveler, trying to navigate this on my own. And she couldn't necessarily help me with that portion of it because that's not what she was doing. I decided to just take a, a chance on myself because I know me. I know my personality. I know I thrive. I know I have no issues with saying hello, smiling at somebody, and having conversation, verbal or nonverbal. I knew language may be a barrier, but I was willing to take it all. I was open to the possibilities of whatever was coming my way. I, I thought about it. And I'm going to go to Thailand. And I'm going to check out Bangkok and I'm going to check out all of these beautiful Buddha statues and all that stuff before I get to Vietnam. This thing going on in Thailand called Yi Ping, where the lanterns, you know, get released. And I was like, I'm going to do that. I'm going to go and this is going to be my spiritual cleanse. I'm going to release everything that's not me and become this new woman. All of these things, like I said, just kept aligning. My son was maybe about two years out of graduating high school. And I just looked at him and I was just like, I think it's time you go live with dad because I had done this for so long. I just needed to be me, not mom, not worker. I just needed to be me. So he was able to go live with his dad. That was another check. And it was just myself. The only person I had to worry about at that point was me. I made the decision to go for it, and I left. I bought a one-way ticket. I was super curious to learn more about Nubia's family's response to her making this big change in her life. The only people I cared about were my children, and I asked them if they wanted to come. I was like, hey, this could be a long vacation. You can still go to school, just online. I was excited to just share that. They show no interest. My daughter actually was just like, well, if you move to London, I'll think about it. And I'm just like, I, you don't ain't got London money. I felt like I had to do this for me. Before I left, there were a lot of things that were aligned. But what I failed to mention is there were a lot of things within myself that I needed healing from. I was pre-diabetic. I was what they would call clinically obese, even though I was carrying my weight well, or from the outside looking in, it looked well, but I felt like crap physically. It runs in my family type 2 diabetes, typically after the age of 35. And here I was, 37, 38, 
and I was overweight. I was depressed because I had lost my job and I just felt like, why is this happening to me? I was angry at the world. Like what the, what the blip? I just felt like as you feel everything's working in your favor, Hickle, somebody always wanted to take it away from you. And I'm not going to get political and everything else, but we know what I'm talking about. There's never a chance. It always feels like it's close, but yet far away. And they're always just dangling it in front of your face. Like, here you go. Oh, by the way, nope, sorry, can't give it to you. And I just felt angry about it all. I was starting to feel resentful that I was a single mom for all these years and not really having a chance to do the things that I probably wanted to do or could do in my 20s. But it was my choice to have children. I had to deal with that. There was just a lot going on. And I was starting to feel just boxed in. I went to see a psychic, actually. And it was my first time seeing a psychic. And I was recommended to her by two people who didn't know each other. This is what I mean about alignment. Again, talking to Frances and she's like, I don't know if you believe in, you know, psychic abilities and all this kind of stuff, but there's this woman I go see, blah, blah, blah. She gives me the woman's name and I'm at the barber and I'm talking to my barber and I'm like, hey, have you ever seen a psychic before? She was like, hell yeah. She was like, I go see this woman. This is her number. This is her name. And long and behold, it was the same person. To me, that was alignment. I'm like, heck, two people who don't even know each other told me about this woman. She must be good. I set my appointment and I went to go speak to her. And when I tell you this woman read me for filth, and I say that only because she was able to tap into everything that I needed at that time. And she was just like, you're not supposed to be here. And I'm thinking to myself, what do you mean? Am I supposed to be dead? She's like, no, 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 no. You're a nomad. You have a nomadic spirit and no wonder you feel the way you do because you're feeling caged. You need to be let loose to spread your wings and, and gallivant around this world as you see fit. She was like, it's been a part of you all your life, but you're just now really tapping into its true ability. And she's like, you're going to be known around the world globally. I'm like, oh, am I going to be the new Oprah? This is all ego talking because I'm just taking it all in. And she's telling me that I'm going to leave a legacy and that I'm going to do all these wonderful things, but I need to stop doubting myself, that I need to take the chances and the risk on myself because I'm worth it. In that session, I was crying like a baby because there was so many things that she had said She's like, yeah, you need to work through a lot of this trauma that you're holding on to and release the anger and everything. I was at a crossroads. I was like, I can't keep holding myself back. I got to do it. And that's when I decided the one way ticket thing was it. I wanted to know how Nubia felt the day she was leaving for Asia and the thoughts running in her mind when she landed in Thailand. Let's start here, though. How about when I'm at the airport, I bought myself an upgrade to first class because I, in my mind, I said, I deserve this. This is the start of a new beginning for me. And I want to start on what I felt like was a regal and right foot. I was flying with Qatar, one of the best airlines. And oh, my gosh, the trip was the best. Oh, that was the best flight I've taken in many years. And I landed in Thailand feeling great. Thai people are some of the most loving, kind, smiley people ever. And then you step out into Bangkok and all you hear is horns and this noise. And you're just like, whoa, this is overload. But it reminded me of like a New York City with a bunch of Asian people. In my American fashion, had booked this little luxury Airbnb condo because I'm still in that mentality that I have to have these certain amenities. And I take the taxi to my condo and I immediately get on to one of my travel group sites on Facebook. And this is the beauty of the internet. It has its downfalls, but there are are some wonderful things about the internet and connection is one of them. And I posted in this travel group, hey, I'm in Bangkok for the next week. Is there anyone here that would like to link up for a drink or dinner? Long and behold, somebody 
was like, ding, hey, I'm in Bangkok too. I actually live here. What? You live here? Black girl. And I was just like, you live here? Okay. And she's like, yeah, I get off of work. At four, we can meet up for a drink and maybe grab dinner. We meet up that night and oh my gosh, I basically spent my majority of time in Bangkok with her. She showed me around and just played my travel companion for that time that I was in Bangkok. And we ended up developing a great friendship through that. I was just in awe. I was just taking in the sights, the smells, the tastes, the the everything. I was the tourist and I just loved it. But she showed me the rooftops. I'm like, oh, shoot. These are some swanky little rooftops and with the view of the whole entire city. And it just reminded me of very much the D.C. rooftop culture or the New York brunches or whatever. It just didn't feel like I was in this foreign country. And here I was with a a Black woman, we the same age, and we just chilling, having cocktails on the rooftop. I was in awe. I was living it up. After having a fantastic time in Bangkok, I wanted to know where Nubia went next. There was this young black man in one of the travel groups that said he had a hostel in Thailand, but in a place called Chiang Mai. I had never heard of Chiang Mai at the time. And I looked it up and the largest yeeping festival was actually in Chiang Mai. I'm like, check mark check mark and he's black and I want to support him check mark and I'm not opposed to hostels however I had never really stayed in one I book a month at his hostel on the faith that I'm supporting this person I go to Chiang Mai after my time in Bangkok and it was a much different vibe than Bangkok it was like the sister of Bangkok but she was a lot slower more chill more cultural and I loved it I remember taking the taxi or what they would call the red truck to the hostel. And when I walked up to the hostel, there was two young black women and these black girls were from D.C. I said, oh, my gosh, I was in straight heaven because I had done so much research online and couldn't find not one person of color over the age of 30 especially over the age of 35, going into 40. And here I was running into nothing but Black people. I was like, what the heck is going on? I'm at the hostel. Two days in, another young lady comes to the hostel. Another Black woman, a little older than me, just by like a couple of years. We get to talking, come to find out she has a really good friend in D.C. who's done a lot of traveling and was in Asia not too long ago. I'm like, oh, yeah, I have an acquaintance that I was just talking to. Come to find out it was the same person. And that person had told both of us about one another. We were destined to meet. Isn't that amazing? And we became friends. And we spent majority of our time in Chiang Mai together. We just painted the town red. The hostel itself threw some kind of little get together because the two ladies that I had met initially, they were doing pop-up restaurants and they threw like a a gathering. Can I tell you another 50-something people of color walked through that door for this launch? Girl, I damn near lost my mind. I was in heaven. And I just said, this is it. Vietnam didn't happen until almost a year later. I ended up staying in Chiang Mai. I stayed in Chiang Mai for two years. I asked Nubia to describe to me her first year abroad. What were the ups, downs, unexpected pleasant surprises, and unexpected obstacles? Living my best life, girl. Living my best life. For the first year, I have to say, for the first year, I did not work because I didn't have to. Asia is very inexpensive to live in. And I had saved enough and I was able to navigate with what I had. However, I was learning so much about myself. The people that I had considered friends before I left were starting to disappear. I was starting to be more observant of the people I was communicating with. And there was just a lot of revelations happening at once. 
I had to seek spiritual help with that because it was flooring me how I was losing people left and right. And I'm not talking about to death. I'm talking about just in general, seeing their true colors and realizing I spent way too many years in this bubble that didn't suit me. And so I did some Vipassana yoga, meditation, um, retreats, and those come a dime a dozen in Asia, and they're pretty inexpensive. A lot of times they're just donations, especially if you do it at one of the temples with a Buddhist monk and everything else. I did a lot of those. I sought out a, a spiritual healer and did some work on removing what you would call dark entities that continue to kind of latch on to you. It's that energy that just want to suck you dry. Removing that healing through past traumas. And what people don't understand is we hold trauma in our muscles. I was having severe back spasms that were literally causing constrictions in my chest where I couldn't breathe. Nah, that wasn't like, that wasn't just spasm. That was trauma. I was holding trauma in between my shoulder blades and stuff and having all of those things worked on and removed. Working on my body, my physical health, Thailand's great for a good foot massage girl and a good back rub. I was getting massages almost every week. So, and that's something that we can't afford in the States to do. I was drinking lots of coconut water and just staying hydrated and lathering my body down with cocoa butter and getting that sun up did wonders on my mental health. Okay. When I say wonders, wonders. I was clinically depressed in the winters in Boston. That's one of the reasons why I don't call Boston home. I was miserable because of some of the longest winters I've ever had to deal with. And uh, they weren't good times. And to wake up to gray skies or rain or just cold weather, that played a huge part in my depression. Here I was in this country that I woke up every single day day to nothing but beautiful sunshine. And that sun was like a warm hug every morning, listening to the birds chirping. That that stuff does so much for the transformation of a positive, more peaceful mental health state. Here I was working on all of that, not even noticing that I was shedding these pounds. I was shedding all this dead weight I look like two separate people. I have this one photo of me the week before I left and me maybe six to eight months later. And I look like Benjamin Button. I like reversed age. Because Thailand was doing so many great things for me and my body and my mind and in my spirit and my heart. It was transformational. It was transformative, period. And I was loving every moment of it. So that's what I was doing in Thailand, girl. I was just living my life and working on me to be a better person. I never got to Vietnam to move. I went to Vietnam three times to visit and realized that it wasn't for me. And now there's a thriving community of people of color in Vietnam who I've met every single last one of them in Chiang Mai. And I look at their photos today, I mean, literally every day, and I just smile and I'm just like, I want to go back and just give them a hug because they created this community in Vietnam that wasn't there when I went to go visit. The reason why I stayed in Chiang Mai for so long is because I I had a community. They were my community. Chiang Mai was home. After living her best life in Chiang Mai with an incredible, beautiful Black community, I was curious where Nubia went next. I ended up leaving Chiang Mai because I really wanted to date. I was dating someone at the time and they had lived in the States. And I said, okay, I'm going to try South America. I moved to Colombia for a little while. While I was in Colombia, I realized it didn't suit me for many reasons. One was it I wasn't able to travel about South America the way I was able to travel around Asia. I I love Southeast Asia. You could literally book a ticket from Thailand to Bali for $80 round trip or go to Laos, go to China, go to, you know, the Philippines, Taiwan. You can go anywhere. It really costs you under $100. I went to India. I went to so many places, Singapore. I went to all these places in the two years that I had lived in Thailand. Well, living in South America, I didn't have that, that, I didn't have that, period. 
<laughs> there was no accessibility. I wanted to go to Brazil and the ticket was like $600. I was like, what? Brazil's next door. What do you mean? Can I take a bus over there or something? Like, I don't get it. It would have been cheaper for me to fly from Colombia to the U.S. and then from the U.S. to Brazil than to just go to Brazil from Colombia, which made absolutely no sense to me. I was like, okay, this isn't going to work for me. I ended up leaving Colombia and decided on Mexico because it was a lot closer to the States that this person and I could date. It was a situation where they give you six months on your visa. I didn't have to worry about having to leave the country every 30 to 60 days or 90 days. I had a good six months to really just plant myself. I do a lot of one ways. I never book round trips and I never book my next tickets. I just need to see how I feel when I'm in a place. I landed in Mexico City on a layover before coming to, I believe it was Playa del Carmen. And I fell in love with Mexico City. And I ended up staying there for nine months. Then as Mexico City started getting cooler and colder, and I was realizing that I wasn't really liking this. I'm not I'm not a cold weather person anymore. I went to Playa and met a whole nother community of people of color and was just like, whoa, was it my thing? It's like going to Miami on vacation. Everybody likes to go to the rooftop, have drinks. And I, I just had a simpler way of life after living in Thailand for long. I went to Tulum and I was staying at a hostel. I remember walking into this hostel and I was amazed. I mean, it was beautiful. It looked like a huge hotel. And I was just like, whoa. And I'm in hospitality. I'm like, can I see the manager, please? And I'm asking all these questions about this hostel and how long it's been and what are they doing? And if they need any help to let me know. He was like, let's meet tomorrow and talk. Girl, they hired me the next day for 30 days. It was, let's try it out, 30 days for me to be a host. My job was basically to talk to people who had checked into the hostel and find out why they were there, how long they were staying, if they wanted any excursions, all of those things. And I'm good at that kind of stuff. That comes naturally in exchange for free housing. Oh, yeah. I lived in Tulum for a little over 30 days. I had to leave because Tulum is developing very fast. It was not stable when it came to internet. It wasn't stable when it came to like hot water or water at all because you're doing so much construction that they would have bouts where there was no water for two, three days. There would be electricity going out and things like that. And I work online. I needed something more reliable. I came back to Playa and I've been in Playa ever since. I've been in Mexico for almost a year. I asked Nubia to describe to me her experience of being a Black woman abroad. I think there is this huge misconception that as a person of color, we're not welcomed in a lot of places. And that's not true. We're not even wanted in America. Honestly, I have to say that I've been welcomed in almost every country that I've been to. Even though I might look different than them, They've been wanting to know more about me. Sometimes I get mistaken as an African woman because I'm dark skin and they associate that dark skin with Africa, which is fine. I'm gladly say my ancestors are African, but I was born in America. If I say I'm American, their face is like, what? Their depiction of an American is literally like a Beyonce. Because that's all they would know is kind of the music scene. They don't know much about America. I have been able to navigate this world with little to no issues. I would say colorism is global, but racism is not. I have seen and dealt with some trying times when it comes to actually just being a woman. A lot of people know in the Middle East, being a woman does not mean shit. Excuse my language. I mean, it's a male-driven country. With that said, as a woman and then as a Black woman, you're really looked at a little bit less than. But that's a cultural thing that they have to deal with on their own. I'm in their country and I'm a guest. I respect their, their cultural norms and I don't step out of that. And I don't buck up my chest and be like, well, you're going to do whatever because I'm this. Absolutely not. What I realize is, and I've seen throughout my travels, and it really disgusts me sometimes, actually all the time, that foreigners will come into these countries and act like the people in that country are supposed to treat them 
in this way because that's what their expectation is. Not taking into account the cultural differences of that country to understand that they don't operate the same way that your country may operate. It becomes this like battle and I don't have that for me. I navigate under the radar because I'm very respectful of the cultural norms in every country that I go to. If I'm in a a predominantly Muslim country, you're not going to see me wearing tank tops with spaghetti straps and short shorts. That's not going to happen. I'm going to be covered. I'm going to be respectful. I'm going to understand what's going on when there's a call of prayer. I'm going to understand that I'm not eating pork in this country or I may not be drinking alcohol in this country. There's all of those factors that I need to take into consideration. And I do that. I'm not that that visitor that comes that's like, I don't understand why I can't and why you don't. And mm-mm. That's, that's not me. I haven't had any issues for the most part. I think the only problem I had was in India. And it's crazy because in India, the shades of brown, some of the most beautiful shades of brown you have ever seen in your life, girl, outside of Africa. And I was totally an alien to them. Like... The unwavering stares, which was very hard for me to deal with because I never dealt with stares to that level. Now in China, they're going to take pictures of you. (laughs) They're going to act like they're talking to somebody on the phone when they're videotaping you, all of those things. Because to them, it's like, wow, there's a black person. But in India, it was just like, it just didn't feel comfortable. And so I really did cut my stay short. And I left the country because I didn't feel comfortable being gawked at the way I was. I asked Nubia, what has it been like dating abroad? I think it was a little bit more difficult for me because now I'm in my 40s. My generation, the Generation X community, we're out there, but a lot of us who are traveling are either traveling with our families or traveling with our mates or just on different trajectories in our lives. It's the generation Y and Z who just leave university and they're just globetrotting the world and they're partying and they're having fun and they're able to find this love and connection abroad. I just haven't found that. Also, not only am I African-American woman over 40, I'm an African-American woman who's a lesbian in over 40. There was all of these things that I won't call them roadblocks, but I just would say that it was just a little bit more difficult for me to find that community. <laughs> or And I haven't had relationships outside of my race. It wasn't that I was seeking other ethnicities either, but I would have been more apt to date somebody else had I dated men and had I dated somebody who was of a different race. Nubia identifies as a lesbian woman, and I wanted to know how that has affected her travel decisions and how she is treated abroad. The thing about that is being a, a, a woman who loves women it has nothing to do with me going to a country and understanding their cultural norms, like I stated. I'm not going to go into Dubai and try to hold someone's hand that is of the same sex. I'm just not going to do it. I don't care how much you want to say you love me, because that's disrespectful and it can get us killed. Do you understand what I mean? You have to understand the countries you're going to, period. It's not necessarily accepted that much in the States, depending on what state you're in. At the end of the day, I just am a woman first. Then I'm a Black woman. Then I'm a lesbian woman. Does that make sense? I just, when I walk into a room, I don't have the gay flag across my face or tattooed on my forehead. I don't do that. And on top of that, I am not masculine identified. It doesn't show outwardly as if some women who might be more masculine of center and wear masculine clothing. To that extent, yes, you have to be mindful and careful of where you go. For instance, I would just say the UAE or the Middle East in general, you could be arrested for what they call gender impersonation. A woman wearing male's clothing is not received well there. Now, 
as a tourist, you have a little bit more leeway because you're putting money into the economy, but it's when you're living there or you're outside of like the tourist places, even as a straight woman, you can't go to the Middle East with your boyfriend. You're not married. You go to a hotel and there's only one bed. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. That is a no-go. That can get you locked up. Premarital sex in a country that doesn't believe in it, that's against the law. And a hotel may or may not call the police on you, or they may or may not reject that room and say that you need two separate beds or two separate rooms. There's all these things. People need to understand that with travel comes educating yourself. You have to educate yourself. Don't just go somewhere blindly because you're looking at somebody's IG pictures and think like, oh, I'm just going to go there because it's beautiful. Understand where you're walking into. Understand the culture of that country. Understand that sometimes some of these IG pics are totally disrespectful to that country. Depending, Thailand's good for stopping you at the airport. (laughs) Thailand is good for stopping you at the airport. China monitors all the social media that goes in and out of that country. You have to be careful. We all know about the guy who went to North Korea and stole the propaganda, got arrested, and they shipped his ass back to the U.S. and he died immediately. Things like that is real life. They don't play. You can't go to a country and disrespect their cultural norms, period. I don't care whether you think it's right or you think it's wrong. I asked Nubia to tell me the origin story of her amazing podcast, Chronicles Abroad. In the beginning of the interview, if you recall, I was telling you that I had done all this research and I couldn't find anybody that looked like me. And when I tell you I'm a researcher and I love to research, I mean, I couldn't find nobody that was a person of color, a mature person, meaning a professional over 35 that had career and assets and maybe children and things like that. When Frances was doing her thing in Thailand teaching, I remember getting to Chiang Mai and having a conversation with her and being like, yo, I met all these Black people who live here and I could not find these people anywhere. They're not sharing their stories. I'm a talker and I'm a communicator and I'm an extrovert, an uber ultra extrovert. Frances is more of a introvert, you know what I mean? But she loves travel. I was just like, she was like, well, do you know anything about podcasts? And I was like, uh, I never really listened to them or whatever. She gave me like a host of podcasts to listen to, blah, blah, blah. And then I was just like, well, I want to do something like this because I know me and I'm a talker and I love to communicate with people and I love to ask questions and I love sociology. I love how the human mind works. I love hearing people's stories, real stories. So I was like, let's start a podcast. She's like, what? I was like, let's do a podcast. Like, will you help me? If I created this podcast, will you help me do this? And she was like, sure. And that's how it all began. And I had the network because I had just met all these wonderful, amazing, beautiful Black people in Chiang Mai. I wanted to share their stories. And that's how Chronicles Abroad happened. It happened just because there was nothing else out there. I love like Travel Noir is great. Nomadness is great. We have all of these different platforms that are really doing their damn thing. And that's great. But I feel like Chronicles Abroad had started at the, at the beginning of the Black travel movement when it became what it is today. There weren't a lot of podcasts by women of color over 30 that were traveling the world and sharing other travelers' stories. But we never wanted to be just a Black podcast. We wanted to really just share those stories because we just wanted to share the stories of the Generation X community people who have kids and who are single moms and who are in a relationship or have a husband or a wife and really just have this passion and desire to move abroad. And we wanted them to do it with passion and purpose and do it well-informed and well-educated and do it by understanding people's stories and understanding what it's really freaking like. This is not a curated YouTube video that has been edited, that has been put into this whole production mode to look pretty and tied into a bow for you. No, this is raw. This is their story, good, bad, or indifferent. These are the struggles that they face. These are their wins. These are their feelings. 
all of it. We just wanted to share that. And that's how Chronicles Abroad came to be. Nubia is a business woman and she has many businesses. I asked her to tell us all about the many things she does. I just have a love and a passion for entertaining, period. And like I said, hospitality has always been my thing. When I would share my stories and I would share my photos and I would post online and all of those things, I would get people in my inbox like, oh my goodness, I would love to meet you. And I started inviting people. (laughs) I was like, sure, let me know when you're down here. We'll hang out. And I started touring people around and that's how being a tour guide started. And then I started hosting trips. And then I hosted a retreat. And all of those things happened as I was just doing what I normally love. But it was becoming exhausting because I was doing it for free. I just wanted to meet new people, connect, and have a good time with them and show them a good time. That, to me, was all I wanted to do. But I needed to make money doing it. Then I started charging for like travel guides. Then I started with people were in my inbox like, hey, I'm thinking of going to this particular place with my girlfriends for a girl's getaway or a family reunion or um, a romantic getaway. What do you suggest? Where should we go? Where should we stay? What should we eat? And I'm like, what? How about I just write guides (laughs) and you can buy them or you can you can hire me to actually curate your experiences. I had gotten clients doing that. I was curating their one on um, their individual or personalized experiences. I was doing curated travel. I was doing touring people in the country that I was in. And then while I was in Mexico, a friend of mine was like, you've heard of Up in the Air Life. And I'm like, yeah, of course. I know Claire Bear. I've heard of her. I've seen her. I met her before. And she's like, well, listen, I went on her Croatia yacht, her mega yacht trip, and I had a ball. She was like, I could really see you working with them, maybe curating a travel or touring one of their trips. And I was like, okay, let me reach out to her. I sent Claire a message on Facebook Messenger. She's like, let's meet for breakfast. I was like, all right. Girl, I met for breakfast by that night. I got hired as the director of Up in the Air Life, and I curate upscale four-star experiences for our luxury clients, and that became my next, you know, venture. And then with not the pandemic and everything, I had to make a pivot and shift a little bit. So I started working on our social media, and I started taking social media marketing classes and digital marketing classes, and I was getting certified for these things. And I was taking hospitality management again, just as a refresher and sustainable um, tourism. I had done so much over the last 60 days that I'm now starting a marketing business, you know what I mean? Because I'm already doing it. You know what I mean? It's like you find things that you love, you find things that you're good at, you do them and you and you make a way. Another thing is with this pandemic, a lot of people are talking about moving abroad and being serious about it. So I decided to offer expat coaching and I have a client that I'm working with one-on-one to help her make her move abroad. And she's my beta client. And once I'm done with my beta client, I already started my coaching program and I'll be helping people to move abroad without them having to go through the hassle of countless hours of research that's really not going to get you anywhere. You really need to talk to somebody. You really need to sit and ask these people question after question after question to make sure you really have a good understanding. There's so many things that you miss just because you ask a question on social media. That's great. You get that answered, but there's much more. So it's been a whirlwind and being home When I say home, I I say that very loosely because I'm extremely nomadic. I'm not an expat, which is two different things. I move about this world very uh, loosely. I'm just like, okay, I'm ready to go. Let me buy a ticket and go to the next place. I have a beautiful apartment in Playa del Carmen that has a wonderful, huge kitchen. And I got back into the kitchen and started cooking and started grilling and started creating. And I launched my very first cookbook. And that's been doing great. And now people are asking for like a YouTube channel and the tutorials. And I'm just like, wow, the the opportunities are absolutely endless. They're endless. But I move around much. I might not always have a chef's kitchen or a, a nice kitchen to cook in. That kind of makes me think like, should I do the cooking thing? But why not? 
why not? Maybe I can teach people how to cook when, when you don't have all of the necessary resources available. I don't know, but that might be next on the horizon is the cooking show. I asked Nubia to give you all some advice for going abroad. Actually, I can't because the thing about it is I didn't handle everything properly when I first left. And I'm not going to lie. Had I known then what I know now, I would have done it a hell of a lot different. This is why the coaching is important because I made all of the mistakes, all of them. A lot of those mistakes stemmed around financial management. When I left the States, I had a cushion. I had a bank account with a couple of zeros. And I was in Asia, like I said, balling, living it up, vacationing. I used all of those terms for a reason because I didn't know no better. I wasn't realizing that I was spending, but wasn't gaining any money. I wasn't working and Asia's inexpensive. I'm thinking, well, I was spending 2,500 a month for a house that I was renting. And here I am with an apartment that's 500 or a hotel that's like only $60 a night and this and the other, but I was depleting my money faster than I can replenish it. I'm actually working with a financial advisor now because I'm doing these businesses and because I'm in a much better financial position today than I have been in, in the three years of my travels that I'm able to make sure that my finances are correct. I wish I could give somebody advice other than just to be mindful of the fact that if you do move abroad, your mind is thinking you're typically on vacation mode because you're getting to know the area. You want to go to all of the places on TripAdvisor. You want to go to all of the places on Instagram. That stuff costs money. And nine times out of 10, it's more money than you would normally pay if you just go to a local restaurant or if you go to a local destination. And it's really about trying to budget what works And depending on the country that you're in, your budget could either be extended very far or it may be limited depending on what you can do, especially in places like London or Paris, the euro or the pound versus the Thai bot or versus the Colombian peso versus the Mexican peso. I mean, you really just got to pay attention to currency. And and what's going to be your budget and what you actually can and cannot afford. Don't try to ball out when you can't because you'll sure enough be in a place where you're like, oh, snap, I messed up because that currency conversion is going to kick your butt when you're going to these hotel rooftops and realizing they're charging you service fees because that you're a tourist and they're charging you tourist prices. It's very different when you're in a local environment and it's very common that you get charged a much higher premium for things because you are not a native. You just be mindful of the amount of spending because in your head, you're thinking U.S. dollar. Like, oh, if I was in the U.S., this would cost me this. This is nothing. But you're doing that constantly. You're constantly spending more because you're thinking to yourself, oh, that's nothing. That's only $2 here. But every $2 adds up. I asked Nubia to describe to me her concept of wellness and how living abroad has influenced her concept and practice of wellness. What happens as a woman of color is we're surrounded by noise and we don't even know it. I mean, it's a lot of chaos around us. If you're a mom, you got your kids, mom, 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 you got your job. Hey, I need this now, this, you got coworkers. Hey girl, did you hear? You got your friends like, yeah, there's a lot of noise. There has to be a time when you can just release yourself from the noise by walking away and spending time to yourself. It might seem easier said than done. A lot of people now are understanding what it means to kind of sit in a space and they're losing their freaking minds. I'm bored. I can't believe I can't go out. People are feeling it, but you don't understand that this was the time that you needed to actually sit with yourself, to think about what it is that you're doing, to really consider all of the things that you have been thinking about, but maybe put off really looking at that relationship you're in, the job you're in, the whatever it is. If there needs to be a pivot, you need to take time out to remove yourself from the situation so that you can make a better informed decision for yourself of whatever the next phase or step is for you. I'm a firm believer of silence, taking time 
to meditate. I'm not a huge journaler. However, when I have written my feelings down, it's a huge release. I am a firm believer of crying. I feel like that is a cleanse of a lot of emotions that sometimes we hold on to because as women of color, we're resilient and we're strong and we're the person that's like, forget it, I'll handle it, I'll do it. And not always feeling like there's the support to help us get through it. And it's okay to not be okay. Acknowledgement is so huge. Acknowledging your hurts, your pains, your triggers, your struggles, your thoughts, acknowledging them first, taking the time out to clear the noise. You can make some decisions on what to do with the things that you're finding out, then letting go, forgiving yourself, forgiving others, letting go of what no longer serves you. I don't give a crap how long that person or how much you invested in whatever. If it no longer serves you, it got to go. Understanding that it's okay to ask for help. Understanding that it's okay to share your story. Because when you share your story, you'll be so surprised on how many other people that your story resonates with. That's how you build community. Like-minded community is through sharing your story. So those are my things of wellness. Wellness to me at first in the States was getting my hair, my nails, and my toes done and all that stuff. And yes, those things can make you feel better for the time being that they're done, but they're not getting to the core of your being. Ask Nubia to give some advice for content creators, either aspiring content creators or people who have been creating for a while the great thing is that most of the people in this sphere, we support one another. It's We're a community by ourselves, you know what I'm saying? Because we're content creators and we all kind of are in the same circle. Really just being open about your stories, connecting with the tourism, tourism boards to help bring tourism back into that country post-COVID and what that would look like. Actually engaging with people and getting their thoughts and ideas around whether or not people want to travel within the next year or two, keeping them informed of what's going on through your stories or through your blogs or through your vlogs. This is how I see it. It's our job as content creators and as travel bloggers and as podcasters to educate our community, our audience. That's our job. Just because we can't travel to that country or that country doesn't mean that we no longer are relevant. We're still in the trenches. We still get the emails from these tourism boards and from other travel sphere communities understanding what's going on before you get it. It's up for us to share those stories and make sure that you're getting it. That's why Travel Noir and Blavity is really great because they share a lot of those stories. They're educating you. What a fantastic show. If you are interested in keeping up with Nubia, you can keep up with her via social media. You can find me on Instagram at a new experience and it's A-N-U for Nubia. A-N-U experience. And that's the easiest place to find me or Chronicles underscore abroad on Instagram, Chronicles abroad on Facebook. Those are the two major platforms that I'm working off of now. Everything else, you can find me through either one of those platforms and click my link tree and bam, you'll have the rest of me. All right. What a great show. Thank you so much to Nubia. Oh, such an amazing guest. And thank you all for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate it. I want to create an atmosphere in which Black women center wellness and we speak about it freely and comfortably. So please let me know how you are envisioning your life and how living abroad is a part of that vision. What does that look like to you? How does that feel for you? I want that to be part of our wellness practice for this week. And if you'd like to share what your best life looks like, you can actually hit me up in Instagram on my DMs, share it with me, tell me all about it, and I will share it on next week's episode. If you all are now inspired to start your own podcast or maybe take your podcast a little bit more seriously, definitely check out WOC Women of Color 
Podcasters Insiders Membership. For the rest of August, their membership is only $15. And if you use my affiliate link, you will actually help support the podcast at no extra cost to yourself. So if you're interested in taking your podcasting to the next level, definitely check out WOC Podcasters Insiders and check out the Flourish in the Foreign link. Also, if you are a Patreon backer, our live Q&As are actually about to start. So you will not want to miss having these conversations with these amazing women that we've had on the podcast. So if you have heard a podcast and you're like, this woman is incredible, like every episode, and you want to chat with her, join the Patreon the first one's actually going to start in a couple of weeks and you want to be there. Also, be sure to go ahead and review and rate this podcast. You just heard an incredible story and you loved it. So go tell the world that you did. Thank you all so much for your support. And thank you to Zachary Higgs, who produced the music for this podcast. Zachary can create music for your podcast, your YouTube channel, or any other creative project you have going on. He is great. I'm going to put all of his contact information in the show notes. That is it for this week. Thank you all. Take care of yourselves. Bye. On the next episode of Flourish in the Foreign... And I was like, yo, I did not get this full narrative together. And I don't feel like other people are either. Because so many people will still use Hotel Rwanda as a reference point. Just as someone who does communications, brand marketing, PR, we need to tell this story. And how do I use my experience to be able to provide platforms, skills, but also just shift the narrative and being able to tell the stories of Remarkable Rwanda, the brands that are doing the work here, 